Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, here we are in person in our brand new AES studio. This feels great. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. It's it's beyond exciting. We appear like credible podcasters slash content creators. Yes. We are those people now. We are. And, and I think it's it's important to note that while we've put a lot of emphasis into this, obviously the bread and butter is, is, is drilling fluids, but it's so important now, I feel like, to create content around what we're doing, create awareness around you know, the value providing information. But yeah, it's companies are now having to get to the next level. And, and we're really trying to broad, like be diverse in how we deliver information. And so while it's cool and exciting and, and kind of has that, you know, suave appeal to it, I think it's so important for us as a company because there's so much information and whether it's conversations we have around the boardroom or just over the phone at nine o'clock at night, but to be able to collect all that and, and put it out there in a way that it's easy to access, it's on the internet forever. If you're a mud engineer at two in the morning and you have a question that we may have been able to answer, there's now there's so much out there, that so many resources out there that we've helped put out and that we're going to continue to put out, but to do it in a way that we can create the content more efficiently, more professionally, yeah, that's kind of the name of the game right now. Absolutely. I mean, I don't see us having a choice right. as far as, you know, we have to get better. We have to continually improve. But I think the other part of it is, you know, we want this to be stuff that people are comfortable referring to. You know, you joke about, let's talk about all the old like safety training videos. Have you ever seen a safety training video that was recorded in the last five years? They're always at least 20 years old. Yeah. You're, and that's so like, true, right? You know, and it's sort of like they get the message across and it's okay. But like, the quality, it looks very clearly dated. It's, you know, it's sort of distracting and you kind of roll your eyes because some of it's a bit cheesy. Yeah. And so, you know, the best quality content, I think, keeps people engaged. It shows that it's fresh. And so, yeah, we're excited to have this space. We're excited to have a company that would support us to have mm -hmm. this space. And hopefully a lot of our content gets even better. Although, you know, we're not, where we are, you know, bootstrapping this stuff and putting it together ourselves. So there, I think the professionals will always be able to call us out. <laughs> yeah. But they're welcome to do that in the internet comments section. <laughs> we'll keep doing what we do. Yeah, exactly. No. And and again, a big shout out to management, just fully supporting on what we're doing. And again, I made a shout out on International Podcast Day to Adelaide Nordier, our marketing manager, but she's been a big proponent on, on helping. She does so much work in the background. So my hat's off to Adelaide. You do a fantastic job. And yeah, it's pretty neat to see. But, you know, getting down to the nitty gritty, let's talk drilling fluids. What do you think? Absolutely. Cool. Well, a topic that I thought of and something that we experience quite often, especially, you know, talking Permian again is, and I mean, granted, you can have it anywhere, but something that's extremely common out in the Permian are intrusions or, or known as water flows. They can happen in, you know, in the intermediate sections, they can happen in the laterals. So I thought it was important. And, and I know we, we've talked about, you know, different, we've had conversations around kicks, you know, what blowouts are, but kind of talking more specifics to, to intrusions and what happens cause and effect with different mud systems. So 
Matt, let's go ahead and get started again. Like we always do, how would you describe a water flow or also known as an influx or an intrusion, but more specific to the water flow portion? Sure. Well, I mean, it sounds pretty obvious and and basic, but, you know, so you've got your mud weight, you're applying a certain amount of pressure on the formation and you drill into something that is a water bearing zone or, you know, one thing is, you know, it could be a, a reservoir of water. It could be from another source. It could be that somebody's fracturing and the fracturing fluid invades into your wellbore or you drill into a fracture. And so basically because there's more pressure there, you can't keep that back. And it starts to mix with your drilling fluid because it flows back and it can wreak all kinds of havoc. Right. And and if you think about it, you're drilling away, you've got a drilling fluid. That's a, that's a somewhat, for the most part, a controlled environment. And then all of a sudden you take a, you know, you have one fluid that you've designed on surface, you got your products going in there and all of a sudden, boom, here we go. You take on a bunch of water from the formation. That water has completely different properties, if any properties, mind you, it's just water. So you might think, well, it's just water. So what's the main deal? But if you're trying to maintain a certain, you know, certain levels of certain properties within your drilling fluids and you have other fluid invading into there, it's going to want to change the chemistry of the fluid. And so let's talk, you know, assuming we're starting, you know, at the top going down, you're going to typically drill out with either a brine or some form of water-based mud. So Matt, what would you say, what is the effect of, of getting an intrusion while you're drilling with water-based muds? What, what can we expect and, and what's happening there? I mean, I think the main thing is dilution. I think, you know, probably, you know, some of the things to consider what are you trying to maintain versus what you're getting? You know, when we're talking about the Permian Basin specifically, a lot of times we're drilling with brine. But if I'm drilling with saturated brine and I take water flow, guess what? My chlorides are probably going to go down because, and, you know, that deter- depends a lot on the nature of what the fluid is in the first place, right? So a bunch of our sources are what we call SWD or saltwater disposal wells. So injection wells that are produced water. So it's more or less the salinity of, of seawater say, you know, 30,000 parts per million, whatever, somewhere in that neighborhood. And not only that, but produced water has a lot of other random ions, depending on where it is, it seems to change all the time. So that could, that could create a mess with one of your polymers, something like that. But ultimately with water base, it's, it's dilution. You may drill into just a, like a freshwater aquifer, you know, that just has a little more pressure and it may not be flowing at the same rate as you know, SWD wells are notorious because you don't know how much overpressured they are. You don't yeah. necessarily know how close you are. A lot of times you might not have the authority to have them shut in before you drill through that zone. A lot of times you don't even know. So it could be a much, much higher flow rate than just a naturally pressurized water bearing zone that may be predominantly fresh water. So, you know, if you look at how your properties change, you can kind of calculate how much fluid you're taking right and get an idea of you know the nature of of what you brought on right and this and when we say flows i mean it could be anywhere from half a barrel an hour to 100 barrels an hour so like matt said and and especially you don't know how charged up these formations are and because there's so many swd wells drilled especially in the permian and I mean, you know, I've, I've faced it too in, in Oklahoma, in the Midcon, yep. had a customer up there and, and it was, you know, oftentimes we didn't see it. And again, it's area specific, but we didn't see it quite as often as we do in the Permian, but a lot of areas now that are producing water, you got to put this, you know, water somewhere. And so why not put it back into, into the earth? But again, it presents some challenges along the way and proper planning has to take place. But 
a lot of times you don't know. And, you know, an operator can call their neighbors and knock on the door and ask them to shut it in. Well, you know, that's money off the table. And so there's often times where operators have to pay for that lack of revenue. So it's a, it's a very complex challenge, not only from a drilling perspective, but even, you know, an economic perspective for these SWD companies, because they make money by pumping. So they don't want to, you know, just volunteeringly say, oh, we'll stop so you can drill your well. Like we got money, to, we need, we have a business to run too. So it's, it's a very interesting sort of business side of that. But, but going back to the drilling fluid, a lot of what we see too is, is, you know, you're trying to maintain a certain mud weight, certain density. And so a lot of times, you know, if if the stars align and your influx is this fluid is the same density as your mud, well, then that may not be as bad, but 99.9% of the time, it's going to change your density. And so if you're trying to maintain a certain density and it drops, well, then you may be even more susceptible to taking on gas or other types of influx. Or let's say you're, you know, you're, you're in an area that is very depleted. And then all of a sudden you take water flow and it may increase your density to, well, then you're, you're like, think about this, you're taking, you know, you're, you're good. You, you take a flow, your mud weight increases, then you start taking losses. Well, then how do you manage that? And there's so many ways of doing it, but those are some of the challenges that, that we face, you know, all the time, especially out in West Texas. But, you know, fortunately, a lot of it is then density management and controlling losses. But if you're drilling with, say, a high performance water-based mud where you have additions going in hourly to maintain specific properties, just imagine if you're taking 50 barrels an hour of a brine or a, you know, a cut, you know, a brackish type fluid, that'll drastically change your, your fluid properties to where then it can lead to some severe hole issues. Sure. It's a fight, you know. So when I went out on the first Enterlite job, which is our direct emulsion system, mm. we took a flow of 100 barrels an hour for a while. Yeah. And we had a bunch of tool failures. So trying to kill the well to get out of the hole, you know, 15 pound mud caps. It was, it was a nightmare and it was lo and behold, there was an injector well right next to us that, well, we figured out where it was, Yeah, <laughs> but you know, so the, the challenge was you had this direct emulsion system, saturated brine. So you're trying to inhibit salt washout. Well, you don't exactly know where the flow is coming from, but it's not saturated brine. So if it's coming up the annulus beneath that salt, it's going to wash it out even though you're using saturated brine. Yeah. So, you know, even that can undermine some of your strategies, especially something that could save a lot of money when it works. And you just, you can't control the situation. You've just got, got to be ready to fight it. Yeah. And so that's that's an interesting one, you know, and and certainly, obviously it happens more in, in the lateral, but, you know, taking a frack hit where you hear, you know, you hear these horror stories. It seems like everybody's a little more accommodating than SWD wells to like talk to each other and change their schedule a little bit. No. But I've also heard that, nope, we're not going to change anything for you. Like this is the only time this crew can come through. Yeah. And just the, I don't know how much pressure, I don't know how long I'm going to keep taking this fluid. You know, a lot of frac fluids are produced water-based. Many of them now are just from a beneficial reuse perspective, but sometimes it's still, you know, just 3% KCL. So it's still yep. even lower salinity. And that can happen in the production interval, more likely to happen in the production interval. So, I mean, if you just think about what a mess you've got, you've, you've already talked about all these all these things in the air that you've got to juggle. And we get so many questions from customers like, how are you going to stop this? Yeah. And it's one of those, I, I wish I could. I, I probably wouldn't be working anymore if I knew how. Yeah. But there's just so many factors you have to take into consideration. When, where, how bad, all of that, all of that. So... I don't know. Hopefully we've we've laid that out effectively. Just what a what a mess you can face. We've talked about the water-based mud stuff, which 
Well, it is definitely much more manageable. Right. But have you ever taken a flow with some oil-based mud, Justin? Yeah. <laughs> Once yeah. or twice? Right. Yeah. Again, it's not quite as common in the inter- or in sorry, the production of curved lateral intervals, but it does happen. We faced it recently. And so it's a challenge, right? I mean, you're drilling along, all of a sudden things, you know, start your properties start to change, your, you know, your your right away your funnel viscosity starts to go up and you start seeing flow and next thing you know, all your properties just start getting wonky. Well, then everyone starts to get a little anxious because, you know, the last thing you want to do is have enough water in your oil base mud to where it flips. And by that, I mean, you go from, you know, having mostly oil in your system. And again, this is a very simple way of explaining it. You have more oil in your system than you, the, you know, as you're drilling. And then all of a sudden you take an inflow of water. Well, then you have more water in, in your oil base mud. So you don't want it to flip over to where it's mostly water and a little bit of oil because that's not the way the system's designed. So yeah, that happens. I mean, we drilled out a couple thousand feet. All of a sudden we took a bunch of flow and yeah, at that point you you have to have some serious conversations and make some split decisions that are, you know, can be hundreds and hundreds of thousand dollars worth of decision-making. Well, do we, you know, how do we stop this? Do we go back to water base? If we go to water base, well then are we going to be able to actually drill the well because of, you know, some, you know, challenges that, you know, drilling two miles with water-based mud is challenging and, or we're still going to see the flow. And so, yeah, but I mean, right away, your properties on your oil-based mud starts to change and Mm -hmm. it starts to break the system down. Well, you better hope that you've got enough product and you've got a strong emulsifier package and try to try to keep that (laughs) emulsion as stable as possible in order to keep drilling. And, you know, well control says, well, if you take inflow, the number one rule is to stop the flow. But you may have not gotten the shoot test you wanted. So you're limited on density. And so you, you, again, you have to balance density with, you know, how much pressure your well work can actually tolerate. And so, yeah, operationally, you're on your toes until you get to TD. But I mean, at the end of the day, Matt, like from, from a more of a technical perspective, what is happening with an oil-based invert when that water starts to come in? Like what, what is actually happening inside the system itself? So I guess the way I try and describe it to folks is think about you've got an invert emulsion. So you have these surfactants that want to put water in the internal phase. Right. So they're going to grab for water, put it in the internal phase. And so I keep giving it water and it's going to keep trying to grab for it and put it in the internal phase. But eventually it doesn't have, you know, and how this happens, you got a surfactant. One side likes oil, one side likes water. They form what's called a micellar, basically a ring to sort of form a droplet, speaking very broadly, where the the side that likes the water sort of lines up and then the side that likes the oil, you know, they're all facing out. And so you th- you've got kind of this ring and you get this, we'll call it a sphere. It's definitely not under a microscope, but <laughs> you have this basically sphere droplet of water and the, the oil loving side is all facing out. So it's all dispersed in the oil. Okay. The water loving side is inside. Well, now that you keep giving it more water, but you don't have enough surfactant and you don't have enough oil for that surfactant to properly line up, it's going to keep grabbing for, it's going to keep trying to put the water in the internal phase. And instead what happens is once it gets overwhelmed where you run out of emulsifier, you've got too much water and not enough oil, you end up with something that looks like peanut butter because it's grabbing for the water. It can't maintain a stable invert emulsion. Mm-hmm. And then you get this really, really thick fluid. I mean, you mentioned the viscosity increasing if you let it go a little bit more, it can be so thick you can't even pump it. Classic, when you do incompletions back in the day when we would do displacements from oil-based mud to brine, that was a big thing because if you had a bunch of interface, you would just have this thick, thick mess 
that, mm. you know, it's almost like you needed to get a shovel down hole and just start digging it <laughs> out. Yeah. But it makes a mess. And the question is, you know, what, what do I do next? You know? Yep. Yeah, no. And so, I mean, one of the biggest things right away is you just start hitting it with diesel and emulsifier and wedding agent. I mean, you gotta, I mean, you, 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 it is important and you try to keep your system intact. And then you, you know, at that point, if you, you if you can ma- try and maintain your properties, you do. I mean, obviously, if you need a certain density, or if you're drilling with a certain density, adding enough clay in there to where it can still hold bail, right? And so, yeah, it's it's a juggling act. And and at the end of the day, regardless of which way you go, there's some serious costs associated with it. And so, but you know, if you can get, I think most operators would elect to tra- if they can keep the oil base in the hole and get to TD. That's the goal. But then at that point, it's like, okay, well, what do you do with that? Do you trade it to get it back to where you want it to be for the next well? Do you dispose of it? I mean, you can certainly, and and that's one of the really huge benefits with diesel invert emulsions or any oil-based emulsions is that they're pretty robust and they can take a pretty solid beating. And it, assuming you're willing to spend the money, you can get it back to where you need it to be. Whereas water-based muds, I'm not sure you can quite as easily, at least in my experience. I think obviously it depends on what happens, but yeah, I mean, that's at the point it's like, okay, wow, whew, we drilled the TD and whatever, we spent X amount of dollars to get there, but now what do we do? And so, I mean, Matt, is there kind of a point of no return in your opinion on, on like getting the system back in shape or what, what do you, what, what can you do? I guess. I mean, I think it does come down to economics. You know, you, you yeah. can, you can basically work out and say, okay, this is my oil water ratio. This would, you know, this is how much product I need to add to get me back to where I started and I, I think you balance that with what's realistically happening in the well. If you're taking a few barrels an hour, you know, if, if there's a fight worth having that might be a little bit increased chemical cost, that's one thing. If you're taking 100 barrels an hour and you're like, there's just really like, this isn't going to go away, mm-hmm. then that's that's another conversation, I think. But, you know, to your point, this is the reason we develop products like, you know, our AES Mole X is explicitly, you know, a higher concentrated, more powerful product to help with these sort of things. Um, and in fact, even our, you know, our, our ABS mold does a very good job of that. It was almost sort of the in- inspiration with respect to its ability to tolerate things just because of some additives that, that Baxter put in it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our emulsifier packages were, you know, were designed to handle that. The other thing of course is, you know, we, we've talked about low ECD muds and I think I've sort of become a laughing stock as far as my not so weak opinions on things. <laughs> but, you know, our Enerreach system, which is a very low clay polymeric system, it helps with some of that rheology control. The emulsifier packages, of course, were designed to be water tolerant. We work in too many areas where that's a problem. Right. But also when we minimize the additions of clay, you know, that can help with viscosity control and that sort of thing. So on the invert side, we have these product options. It may be though, we say, look, I can save my mud at surface. You know, I can break that back over for hopefully, you know, the the production interval, but we're going to give up on the intermediate or something like that. We say whatever's in the hole that's taking this huge flow, we're going to circulate it out and go to water-based mud. Yeah. Sometimes that is the best decision. The problem with displacing to water-based mud is you probably chose to use oil-based mud for a reason in that section. Yeah. And you're walking away from all those benefits. And so it means your drilling could be more challenging. You may not be able, if you want to drill a three-mile lateral, that may not necessarily be in the cards unless you have really good directional control and, you know, a few other things that go your way. You know, it, it's just, you lose all the benefits of oil-based mud when you make that decision with the understanding that, okay, 
brine is cheap and I can, you know, I can lose it or continue to incorporate the water flow into the mud. Right. So either way, you've got to choose the least worst decision, you know, the, the least worst choice, but it depends on so many different factors. And I think, you know, that's probably where our account managers have to be there to help both on their like experience, truly having been on those wells and said, look, there's just a certain point in time where I know when to call it. Yeah. And the other part is just to very proactively, you know, you can look at the data, you can look at the offsets, recognize the the risk and and understand an area that's higher risk and no matter what, plan ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's and it comes like you said, it comes down to planning and and even more emphasis on the planning part is we drill, you know, hundreds and hundreds of wells, if not thousands, you know, every year. It's more data points has, you know, gives you more information, but it also equals probably more injection wells. And so the more, the more we drill, the, the more challenges we're going to be faced with. And so, but again, yeah, I think, you know, that that's really all I had, Matt. I thought it was worth talking about. You summed it up quite nicely, man, but do you have any closing last words? I guess, uh, the you know, what I think is interesting, especially when we're talking about SWD induced water flows in particular, just because they're the most common, I would say, mm-hmm. of what we see. It's just interesting to hear folks talk about how much worse it's gotten over the past few years yeah. and say, you know, we in the oil and gas industry as, as drilling folks, we did this to ourselves and we're all sort of responsible for the problems and the decisions we made in the past. And it's even increased cases of H2S associated with this. Yeah, It's the water flows themselves. And well, you see some of this stuff even now is at least getting regulated. A lot of it's grandfathered. So it may not actually get better. It just may hopefully not get as bad. But Andrew Hunter, I believe is his name with Guide On. I've heard him speak a couple of times. Very okay. great guy. I hope I'm getting his name correct. But he gave a presentation and, and I, I didn't get to hear this one in particular, but I've heard him speak before just about the San Andres. And he mm. said, look, you know, we're, we're at a point where if people keep putting water away here, we're going to have to add a casing string. Wow. Like we have to take a step back and spend more money because we don't have the mud weights to control these flows and it could compromise the economics of these wells. Yeah. So I just thought, I thought those were a couple of interesting thoughts and points to kind of leave everybody with when, you know, you think about decisions, are there some unintended consequences or are you hoping you're retired before anybody finds out? I don't, I don't mean that too <laughs> condescendingly, but it's a, you know, just kind of laugh at that thought. You yeah, know? no, so. that's, that's a great point, Matt. And if anyone out there, you know, wants to have a conversation around it and you can always hit us up on LinkedIn or if you have any stories or any interesting takes on, on SWDs or any injection, you know, situations you've been in, hit us up on LinkedIn or you can hit us up at the Flowline Podcast at AESFluids.com. And as always, if you could please subscribe and do us a huge favor, leave a review that keeps the train moving and kind of keeps us heading in the right direction. We've got some exciting interviews coming up and I don't want to spoil it, but you know, one in particular, I think everyone in the drilling industry is going to really appreciate. And so we're looking forward to that. And I think the interview style is certainly interesting. We've had a lot of good feedback on it. So for all the listeners out there, yeah, stay tuned. We've got some interesting stuff coming up. And with that being said, Matt, that's a wrap, buddy. What do you think? Take care, everyone. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.